This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 50, the big five zero, entitled Elijah and High Human Christology. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and I am your host. Over the past few weeks, we have explored how critically examining the way that God empowers human beings with his attributes, glory, and prerogatives helps create a more responsible understanding of the New Testament Gospel's portrayal of the human Jesus, who is also frequently depicted as having been the recipient of God's empowerment. Both Adam and Moses are described in Jewish sources as fully human figures who share in God's activities and attributes. And yet neither of these two individuals was thought of as infringing upon Israel's strict monotheism. In the same manner, understanding that the human being Jesus Christ also shares in God's prerogatives, glory, and attributes does not lead to some Nicene or Chalcedonian Christology, but rather to a high human Christology. This episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast will focus on the prophet Elijah, a human being who, like Moses and Adam, is frequently depicted in Jewish writings as operating under the activities typically reserved for God alone. After we look at the words and deeds of Elijah, we will see if there are any similar depictions in the New Testament Gospels with the man Jesus Christ. Is Jesus portrayed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as a figure like the prophet Elijah? And if so, what does this mean for New Testament Christology? These questions will be answered in this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. I want to credit much of my research to the work of Daniel Kirk in his book, A Man Attested by God. Having finished our introductions and set forth our research expectations, we can begin our study of the evidence of Elijah. Our first point is entitled, Elijah Demonstrates Control Over Nature and the Elements. Elijah gets introduced into scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17 and in the very first verse. So let's start off with that verse. This passage reads, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. There we can see Elijah, a prophet figure, standing before the king Ahab, and he speaks on behalf of the Lord God. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, by my word, there will be neither dew nor rain. Here we can see that Elijah is a human figure empowered by God to control the rain and dew. Surely he is sharing in God's authority and power to do so. The passage goes on in the next three verses, and it says, The word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, as I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. That's 1 Kings 17, 
we can see there that Elijah is the recipient of the word of the Lord, and God is able to provide food and water for Elijah. Moving on, we can move to 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 36, and we can see a little bit more evidence of how Elijah controls the elements and nature. 1 Kings 18.36 begins a passage which says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 39. There we can see on Mount Carmel, where Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal, that he prays to God and says that he is doing all of these miracles at God's word. Elijah here is functioning as a prophet empowered by the one true God, and thereby Elijah is able to call down the elements and to call down fire from heaven, a very unique ability for a human being. But clearly here, the way in which Elijah is able to control the elements is because he is someone empowered by the one true God. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 8, we can also see Elijah functioning with his control over nature. This passage reads, Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. That's 2 Kings 2 and verse 8. There Elijah is able to divide the Jordan River, very similar to how Moses was able to divide the Reed Sea. So we can see that in the depiction of Elijah, he is able to withhold dew and rain. He's able to receive food on his own. He's able to call down fire from heaven, and he's able to divide the Jordan River. Clearly here, Elijah is functioning as a divinely empowered human being, a prophet who, acting on God's behalf, is able to control the nature that God himself created. Our second point today is that Elijah resurrects a dead child. Now, at the beginning of this, we should note that in Israel's scriptures, God, the Lord God, Yahweh, is the giver of life. God is the one that gives life. He's the one that gives people the breath of life that brings them to life. And so for a human being to also exercise the ability to give life or to raise someone from the dead, they are clearly demonstrating a attribute and an empowerment from the true life giver, the creator, the Lord God. In 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 21, we can see a passage where Elijah raises the dead. This passage reads, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. 
the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. That's 1 Kings 17, verses 21 through 24. Elijah here is functioning as a prophet figure, praying to God and asking for God to breathe life back into this child. This child is raised from the dead. He is presented alive to his mother. And the interesting thing is the response of this mother. The woman says in verse 24 that Elijah is a man, is a human being, a human being of God, and that the word of Yahweh in Elijah's mouth is truthful. It's verifiable. It's authentic. It is genuine. So for Elijah to be able to exercise the prerogatives of the Lord God, the Lord God being the life giver, this does not make Elijah someone who infringes upon God's monotheism. Rather, he is a human being linked with God and that the word of Yahweh is in Elijah's mouth. There we can see that the ability to raise the dead for a human being does not make them Israel's God, but makes them a man of God. Very interesting point. Our third point in regard to Elijah is that Elijah bears the glory of God. In the book of Sirach, which was written around 180 B.C., we have this passage in chapter 48, which is a long discussion of Elijah and how he was remembered. This passage in Sirach, chapter 48, in verse 4, says, How glorious you were, Elijah, in your wondrous deeds, whose glory is equal to yours. That's Sirach, chapter 48, in verse 4, out of the translation of the New Revised Standard Version. There we can see that the writer of Sirach praises Elijah because of his wondrous deeds, surely the wondrous deeds that Elijah demonstrated and exercised with his empowerment of the one true God's attributes, abilities, and prerogatives. And there we can see that Elijah now has a glory to where the writer can say, whose glory is equal to yours? Well, surely no one has a glory that's equal to the Lord God's. And so Elijah here seems to be depicted as someone who is sharing in God's glory. Elijah bears an unequaled glory as a fully-fledged human being, but a fully-fledged human being who has been empowered by the one true God sharing in his attributes and prerogatives. Having noted that Elijah, a human prophet, was empowered with God's attributes, glory, and ability to demonstrate miracles, we now possess a responsible interpretive lens through which we can better understand how the four New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, each depict the highly empowered human being, Jesus Christ. Let's look at how Jesus Christ controls nature and the elements in the same way that Elijah controlled nature and the elements. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 24, a passage reads, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? 
Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? That's Matthew 8, verses 24 through 27. There we can see that Jesus Christ is someone who has authority over nature. He's able to calm the sea and the winds. Of course, the sea within the Jewish understanding was the chaotic waters that needed to come under control through God and through God's agents. But after Jesus demonstrates his control over the winds and the sea, the response of his disciples is very interesting. They ask, what kind of a person is this? What kind of a man is this that the winds and the seas obey him? So they're asking the Christological question, okay? They don't immediately resort and say, this must be Yahweh, dressed up as a human being. They ask, what kind of a man is this that nature obeys him? Of course, they could be thinking very much like Elijah, someone who clearly depicted control over the elements, over nature, as a fully-fledged human being. There's another passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus demonstrates control over nature. In Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 25, we have a passage that reads, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Jesus came to the disciples, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The passage goes on, and it concludes by saying, And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. That's Matthew 14, verses 25 through 33. We can see here that Jesus demonstrates control over the waters. He's able to walk upon the sea. And, of course, there's a double meaning there of Jesus physically walking upon the waters, but demonstrating control over the chaotic waters, over the chaotic sea. And we can see there that Jesus, when he does this, he approaches the disciples saying, look, it's me, it is I, don't be afraid. And having walked on the water successfully and having pulled Peter out of the water when he tried to walk on the water, they worship Jesus as God's son. Their acknowledgement is that Jesus is God's son. Jesus here bearing the Christological title of the Son of God, not as God himself, but as the Son of God, is someone who the Israelites thought was able to demonstrate control and authority over nature and the elements. To control the nature and the elements did not make someone the Lord God. For the disciples, their understanding was that this made Jesus the Son of God, God's Son. Of course, Adam was called the Son of God, and Jesus here is called the Son of God, and Adam, of course, demonstrated control over the entire world. So there might be a linking with Adam as well as a linking with Elijah the prophet, both of whom were human figures. We can move on and look at how Jesus raised the dead like Elijah raised the dead. We have three explicit examples of Jesus raising the dead. And of course, we have Jesus sending word back to John the Baptist in prison about how the dead are being raised. So there might be more examples of the dead being raised that aren't fully depicted within the four Gospels. But we can look at the three occurrences that we do have. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18 begins one of these accounts. It says, 
While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. The passage goes on and it says, When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, but when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl was raised up. That's Matthew 9, verses 18 through 25. Jesus here is able to raise this girl up out of her sleep, sleep being a metaphor for death. It's a euphemism for death. Jesus raised her up. He woke her up out of the sleep of death. Jesus here is able to raise the dead as a human figure. Our next example will be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 12. This passage reads, Now as he approached the gates of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. That's Luke chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. It seems like a very similar passage to Elijah. Elijah also was someone who raised up a child and gave that child back to his mother, and the response of those who witnessed the miracle responded that God has brought about a great prophet among us. There's some very interesting parallels with this passage in Luke 7, verses 12 through 16, and the passage with Elijah raising the dead back in 1 Kings. It is very interesting here that the response of the people is that they glorify God for acknowledging that a great prophet, a human prophet, has arisen among us and that God has invested his authority and power and presence in this great prophet with their proclamation that, quote, God has visited his people. They did not feel that this great prophet was God himself, but that God is working through this great prophet in that God has empowered this prophet to share in God's ability as the giver of life, and that this great prophet Jesus has raised the dead. Our next passage is with Lazarus in John chapter 11. Really, the entirety of John chapter 11 is about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but we're just going to look at four verses, John 11, verses 41 through 44. It says, So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 44. Jesus here acknowledges that God is the one that hears Jesus' prayer. God is the one that has commissioned Jesus to perform this particular miracle. And Jesus is able to cry out and to raise Lazarus from the dead clearly as someone empowered by God, the true giver of life. 
So that's three examples to where Jesus is able to raise the dead in a similar fashion to how Elijah raised the dead, both as fully fledged human beings empowered by God. Let's also look at passages where Jesus shares in God's unique glory. We saw in Sirach that Elijah had a glory that was like no one else's. Clearly, Elijah there sharing in the glory of the true God. How is Jesus depicted as one sharing in God's glory? Well, we've seen this already with Adam and Moses, so it's very interesting to also see it in regard to Elijah. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27 is a great passage in regard to Jesus sharing God's glory. It reads, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. That's Matthew 16 and verse 27, where Jesus himself says with his own words that the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father. Jesus there is going to bear God's glory. And of course, it's not just God, but it's his Father. The Father of Jesus is God, and Jesus is going to bear the Father's glory. You can also see another passage in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26, where a similar thing is said. It reads, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's Luke 9 and verse 26. Jesus there again, coming in the glory of his Father. Jesus is sharing in God's unique glory. So, in conclusion, we have observed that, number one, the figure of Elijah further demonstrates that God can invest his attributes and God can empower human beings to perform godly activities without there being any threat to strict monotheism. Elijah, a human being, exercised control over nature, the rain, and the waters. Elijah also shares in God's life-giving ability as he raises a child from the dead. Lastly, Elijah is remembered in Sirach as sharing in God's unique glory. In other words, a glorified, life-giving, miracle-working human being was not considered within Judaism to be Yahweh, but rather an ideal human figure authentically empowered by Yahweh. And number two, we observe that Elijah the prophet's example created many valuable readings of the New Testament Gospels and their portrayals of the human being, Jesus Christ. Like Elijah, Jesus demonstrated control and authority over nature and the elements resulting in those who witness these miracles to ponder the Christological question, ultimately resulting in that Jesus is the Son of God. Like Elijah, Jesus shared in God's life-giving ability by raising multiple persons from the dead, further reinforcing Jesus' identity as one sharing in God's empowerment. Lastly, Jesus, like Elijah, bears the glory of the Lord God as an authentic recipient of this shared divine attribute. Both Jesus Christ and Elijah are portrayed in Jewish sources as fully human beings sharing in God's prerogatives, God's glory, and God's attributes while existing within a framework of monotheism where the Father is still the only true God. 
If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us with a small donation. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, my name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you take care.